The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. In the headlines, Asian equities follow the S&P and the Nasdaq into the red after the Fed pledges to keep interest rates at record lows until 2023. Effectively saying that policy will remain highly accommodative until the economy is very far along and its recovery should provide strong support for the economy and get us there sooner rather than later. President Trump expresses concerns over TikTok's Oracle plan, saying he doesn't want China's bite dance to keep control while he looks for a way for the U.S. government to get paid for the tie-up. No, I'm not prepared to sign off on anything. I have to see the deal. We need security, especially after what we've seen with respect to China and what's going on. We want security, so I'll let you know. They're going to be reporting to me tomorrow morning, and I will let you know. Uh, Snowflake gets a warm reception as shares in the cloud company spike more than 100% on their first day of trading on the New York Stock Exchange. The IPO is, is really not the highlight of my life. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a milestone. Uh, we're here to build our, our business, to build our product. Uh, that's, that's what we're excited about. That's what we do. And a resurgence in COVID cases across Europe sparks concern of further lockdowns as Britain records almost 4,000 new daily infections, whilst France and Spain roll out fresh restrictions amid the second wave. Good morning. Very good morning. I was just thinking. Go on. <laughs> it didn't know, hurt, did it, at this hour? It's unbelievably painful. <laughs> What's that? But there's a lot of similarities. Uh, yes. I know uh, you're going to do the read. We're going to do the reads. In, yes. in Sm- Snowflake and the Federal Reserve. Go on. Not only were they both... Well, they're both moonshots, aren't they? Right. I.e., what the Federal Reserve said about future guidance and what investors have done with the multiples they are paying in forward sales for Snowflake. They're just great leaps in the dark in, in, in our understanding of what's going on. So There you go. Um, or, I mean, there's an air of unreality about both. Yeah, I think that's right? kind of what I meant. Is yeah. like, we, I mean, do you, I mean, does anybody, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, you have been through and are going through one of the most extraordinary years of our lives. I mean, let's face it, none of us were around pretty much in the Great Depression. Jeff aside, none of us were around in the Second World War. None of us lived through those horrendous events in the 30s and 40s. So yeah. these are extraordinary times. And yet for somebody such as the Federal Reserve and for investors such as yeah. those who got involved in Snowflake to make such long-term, because they are long-term predictions, anything, anyone who thinks they know beyond the end of this year, let alone 21, 22, and to the end of 23, and the similar multiples they're buying on Snowflake, which we'll come to later on as well, yeah. they are, as you say, Great shots in the dark and, and unknown, unknowns. And also their extremes in terms of attitude yes. towards the future. Yes, because I what agree. the Fed is telling you is zero interest rates until 2023. Uh, that suggests a world of incredibly low growth, of difficult times ahead for employment and economic conditions and the opportunity to advance economic growth. Yeah. 
while Snowflake on these valuations... It's unbelievable optimism. ...is telling you that there is an incredible world ahead with only growth. I mean, look, you and I are a certain vintage who say the same things about valuations all the time. And we, yeah. we try to be consistent. And we, I think we are on that front as well. But when I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the multiples you're paying... Not for profits, because there are no profits, of course, at Snowflake, but for future sales, they will knock your socks off. I promise you, they will knock your... In a world of big numbers, they are enormous, and we'll come to that later on. But first, well, the Federal Reserve. Well, absolutely. Well, I'm going to stay here, because I want to find well, out. Well, then that's something to... I'm, ta- that's I'm not going to leave. Wow. We must want to watch the programme and be tantalised by that prospect. Uh, so Fed officials expect interest rates to remain near zero until at least 2023, as the central bank provided a fresh update to its plan to support the US recovery. Policymakers added they will not tighten policy until inflation had risen above 2% for some time. The FOMC also vowed to keep its government bond buying program at its current pace to quote, uh, sustain smooth market functioning. Fed Chair Jerome Powell defended the guidance. It's a slow process, but, but there is a process there. Inflation does move up over time. We do expect that will continue today. And we expect that our, our guidance is powerful and will we'll help that outcome. We think that, that uh, effectively saying that policy will remain highly accommodative until the economy is very far along in its recovery should provide strong support for the economy and get us there sooner rather than later. Uh, but Powell renewed his call for increased fiscal support from Washington, saying monetary policy should not be the first line of defense against the downturn. There's been a really positive effect. That said, my sense is that more fiscal support is likely to be needed. Of course, the details of that for, are for Congress, not for the Fed. But I would just say there are still roughly 11 million people still out of work due to the pandemic. And a good part of those people w- were working in industries that are likely to struggle. Those people may need additional, additional support as they try to find their way and uh, through what will be a difficult time for them. We've also got struggling small businesses, especially those in the business of facing directly to the public. And we have state and local governments dealing with a drop in revenue at the same time spending has gone up, much of it related to the pandemic and economic effects. Now, Jeffrey, do you understand markets? Because I certainly don't. I've been in and around them for over three decades. Uh, no. No, okay, because, because I just don't understand why the dollar isn't rallying on all of this, why the dollar isn't the place to be. We'll huh. come to that in a few moments' time. Yeah. Uh, U.S. markets yesterday, uh, pretty tame staff. Oh, it says U.S. market. Asian markets first, I beg your pardon. Okay, so uh, seven-tenths of 1% lower than Nikkei. The Shenzhen down eight-tenths of 1%. So getting no respite from the uh, long-term largesse, so to speak, uh, from the U.S. Federal Reserve. Let's take a look at the U.S. markets. It's very, very interesting numbers around at the moment. So we saw the Nasdaq down 1.3%, and yet it is up 1.8% for the week. And yet the Russell 2K, which is not on your screen, was up 0.9%. So again, this vicious, aggressive, intraday, day-by-day rotation continues as well. Uh, and actually, I had a look at the Russell 2K. It's up 3.7% for the week. And the oscillation on one of the boring old mid-caps is quite extraordinary. Now, let's look at the dollar crosses. Again, Jeff, I don't understand why the dollar isn't the place to be. Do you? No. I'm saying that rhetorically, so you don't get a chance to answer. Because surely, you just it's the only place to be. I mean, surely there's some passionate 
passionate strategists and economists out there, maybe out of Canary Wharf, who think the dollar's the place to be. But anyway, as you saw on the screen there, uh, the dollar uh, net net is across the board. And I'm looking at the dollar index on my screen. Do you want to have a look at it? My screen's working again now yes. after I dropped a, a pint of water on it yeah, yesterday. It looks like a ski slope. <laughs> it like looks a like a ski slope. So, so surely there are defenders of the dollar out there, Jeffrey. Uh, let's bring in uh, Dominic at this point. Dominic Bunning is with a senior FX strategist <laughs> at uh, HSBC. Well, Steve's led you very neatly up a garden path here, Dominic. <laughs> given that we know uh, you and David uh, have called the dollar stronger over the last year. W what's going on here and um, do you need to review the call? Yeah, morning, gents. Um, well, there may not be many uh, dollar bulls left in Canary Wharf. There's still a few in southwest London where I am. So um, I'm not sure what's happened. They've migrated um, because of the pandemic. Is that pandemic. it? But look, I think, um, you know, what we've done has been, um, you know, a big move in terms of the risk on uh, behaviour that we've seen in markets. So we've had this big shock a few months ago. Things are starting to recover. And, you know, when that happens, um, the dollar weakens. But I think if you look at the long term trends, if you look at what some of the dollar bears are telling you, these passionate dollar bears, the quasi religious dollar bears who think this is the end of the reserve currency, that no one wants to hold dollars. Well, I think, quite frankly, they're talking rubbish, because if you look at all of the stats that we can see, the dollar's actually holding in uh, pretty well. And I think what you're seeing now, um, with the Fed basically saying we're not going to do anything uh, particularly noteworthy for the time being, and now you're starting to see the pushback from the ECB, who are getting very concerned about their own currency strength. You're starting to see the dollar come back a bit. We've already seen this move uh, in terms of euro dollar coming back from 120 down to 117 or so. And we do think there's still a bit of juice. We still think the dollar can rally against the likes of the euro, against the likes of sterling. But we have to be aware there are some countries out there, some economies, which are starting to show a bit better growth. So I do think there's room for a bit of differentiation on the dollar against the big boys, against euro, against sterling. I still think the dollar's the best of that group, but maybe elsewhere there's a bit of room for differentiation. Dominic, I know Steve's going to come in and he's going to perhaps uh, pick up on some of the individual um, crosses against the, the dollar, but I just wanted to ask you on the broader point around the dollar index, given that the Fed is now signalling no move on interest rates through till 2023, what would be the catalyst for further interest rate differential-led strength in the greenback? I don't think rate differentials matter anymore. You know, I think the, the bond vigilantes that we grew up with, that we remember so fondly, um, they're gone. They don't exist anymore. You know, these markets are completely and utterly, um, you know, really controlled by uh, central bank purchases. That's what's dominating the bond market. And with rates stuck at zero, not just in the US, but in the Eurozone, in the UK, uh, and pretty much across uh, the developed world for the foreseeable future, I don't think rate differentials are what matters. I think what matters is much more on the growth side of things, um, because if you're not going to get paid carry for owning a currency or for owning an asset, you need to get paid in terms of the growth rates. Um, and maybe you could argue that's what's happened in equity. People are seeing it as a growth play. But I think that's also true uh, or is becoming more true in currency. So you've got to try and find where growth is. The problem at the moment in G10 is that the growth forecasts are completely all over the place. Um, you know, the ranges across the consensus are, are completely um, out of this world. We're seeing eight, 10 percentage point gaps in terms of the ranges that people are expecting. So it's very hard to find an anchor for that growth. But if you look back historically and you look at the nature of the US's recovery so far, you know, I think the US is doing a pretty good job uh, in terms of maintaining some of those growth rates. And therefore, I do think the dollar can hold up because if you're looking for growth, I still think that the US can give you some of that 
versus maybe what you're seeing in places like Europe or places like the UK? Dominic, good morning, my friend. Um, look, um, obviously a bit of a joshing there, but you said, look, the, uh, and I'll quote you on your first answer, the Fed isn't going to be doing too much for the time being. Well, I think actually the, the Fed has basically implicitly said it's going to do nothing in terms of anything that could be at all deemed as hawkish for uh, three and a half years almost, or over three years they're talking about as well. I don't see how the Fed can have that kind of clarity whatsoever as well. Do you think they've gone beyond uh, the pale, so to speak, beyond credibility when it comes to gauging what the market and what the economy is going to do in 2022 and 2023? I think they've held the market's hand so far that I just don't believe it anymore. Well, it's, it's a good question. I mean, how much does anyone know what's going to happen in 22, 23? I mean, if you look at their own projections in the past, of course, they haven't been historically all that accurate. And, and I'm sure you could say that for most forecasters, um, if you take a long enough time frame. So look, they've, they haven't got a crystal ball. They don't know any really any better than me and you what's going to happen uh, much further down the line. I think what they're telling us pretty clearly is that if those situations do progress like that, if that's the scenario that comes out or something like that, then of course they're not going to be raising rates. What they're telling us is they're going to let inflation run a little bit hotter than it used to. They're going to allow unemployment rates to come lower and lower. They're not going to worry about the natural rate of unemployment like you should in the textbooks. They're going to see what happens. So I think really what you need to read into that is not so much a specific uh, policy guidance and specific forecast for the next three or four years. It's about saying, look, this is our new mantra. This is our new uh, stance. We're going to allow a bit of inflation. We're going to allow the jobs numbers to run hot. We're going to let growth run a bit stronger. We're not going to curtail that anytime soon. And look, if you think about that very long term, you can argue that is um, potentially you know, not such a great story for the dollar because you don't get the rate differentials like we discussed. The problem in currencies is everything is relative. And if you think the ECB is going to be hiking anytime soon either, then I'll have some of what you're smoking because I just don't think that's going to happen either. Luckily, neither Jeffrey or I smoke anything at all, Dominic. I want that thoroughly on the record. What we drink is another issue, actually. A bottle of whiskey before the show. But the point being, that, that was a lie, by the way. Uh, but the point being is that it's the political risk as well as the monetary policy risk as well. Um, a lot of people are saying that the markets are too glib uh, about Mr. Biden coming in. I, mean, I can't, haven't got the energy to talk about Brexit, despite the whiskey. So what about the political change or not that could happen in November? Yeah, I think that's something that we need to consider as, as a potential risk to the dollar, certainly in terms of how the market is interpreting uh, what a Biden victory would mean. Um, I think if you look at a lot of the policies that, that have been announced or potentially would come under Biden, possibly tax rises, maybe more regulation on the tech sector, um, there's possible signs that that could impact US assets and possibly US growth as well. So I do think there's there's a risk there for the dollar that if Biden is seen as, as sort of limiting the speed limit there on US growth, then the markets might start to look again for alternatives and say, you know what, maybe the dollar isn't the place to go. But it's still very early days. Um, and I think what's always interesting is the market fear almost and the market um, preconception versus the reality. And I think Trump in 2016 is a great example of that. If you go back to before the 2016 election, um, we saw Trump talking about wanting a weaker dollar, um, and he continued to do that through um, most of his presidency uh, so far. And actually, the dollar, by and large, strengthened because what happened was the policies he put in place allowed and caused the dollar to strengthen, whether it was through the tax cuts, which boosted growth and boosted rates, or whether it was through the tariff side, which did cause the dollar to, to adjust versus the renminbi as well. So I think it's all well and good kind of um, trying to crystal ball gaze and say, well, maybe this policy will do that and maybe this policy will do that. And that's the preference of Biden. But actually, 
I think you need to really wait and see and what the actual policy guidance is and what steps are taken. Then you can get a much clearer view um, on where things are going. So I can see how it's a risk for the US dollar, but right now it's not really something we're trying to factor in too much until we see what actually gets on the table later this year. Dominic, we've got um, sterling dollar up at the moment, 129 or thereabouts right now. Um, Let's not talk Brexit, but let's talk Bank of England. We're waiting on the meeting today. Will there be anything that is material for the pound? I think this meeting is potentially a bit of a damp squib. um, But I think what you're seeing is the Bank of England has already turned more dovish. We saw that a few weeks ago in terms of their commentary. And I do wonder whether they might, you know, almost start to tee up a little bit of easing this year. And look, we don't necessarily have to focus on Brexit itself, but the Bank of England has an explicit view that there is going to be a smooth Brexit. If that starts to come under pressure, then their forecasts start to come under pressure and then their monetary policy settings potentially uh, need to change as well. So I think that's something we need to be aware of uh, within the Bank of England. So there's there's two issues for the bank. One is that, yes, the numbers so far have been pretty good, but they're very aware of what potentially happens later this year when the policy support from the government starts to wear off. And that's pretty obvious in terms of what they're saying. And then there's the Brexit angle. If that doesn't go smoothly, then it's really all downside risks in terms of their forecast. So I'm not expecting a huge amount today. I think that the dovish tone they said a few weeks ago is likely to persist. But in terms of actual policy changes, I think that's something we'd probably um, expect that, you know, that won't happen until later this year, possibly November, if they are going to ease. Dominic, nice to see you. Thanks for joining us. Dominic Bunning, senior FX strategist at HSBC. He did uh, so, well, didn't he? I think he did very well. I think well. he's quite brave. Fought the corner. Where's his buddy? Uh, where's David, you mean? Yeah. I don't know. Well, he's obviously not <laughs> sent, sh- sharing sent a loft. Dominic out, didn't he? He's not sharing a loft with Dominic in southwest London, as far no, as I David's can see. No, Let's talk a little bit about Snowflake. Uh, shares double on their debut. Um, <laughs> Why? <laughs> the valuations look fairly heady for this cloud company. Uh, Steve's been doing some work on it. He's going to tell us just how no- nosebleed high the uh, the measures are. Well, in the old world, they were nosebleed. But anyway, there's, there's something else going on. We've got um, the podcast. And it's, oh, it's a goodie today. Have you heard it? It's terrific. It's, it's <laughs> happening as we speak. Anyway, for more on the Fed's rate outlook <laughs> and its inflation expectations, Check out the Squawkbox podcast, which is, I'm told, filming as we speak. Opening calls, by the way, look like this for the European markets. Bit of negativity at the start. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. President Trump says he is, quote, not prepared to approve the Oracle TikTok deal yet. He is due to receive a Treasury Department report today on the plan which would make Oracle a technology partner for TikTok's U.S. operations. Chinese parent ByteDance would remain in control with Oracle getting a minority stake. President Trump has urged the government to receive payment for brokering the deal, but said a lawyer had 
uh, amazingly shot down the proposal, saying it would be illegal. Speaking at a press conference, President Trump explained why he doesn't like the deal structure. No, I'm not prepared to sign off on anything. I have to see the deal. We need security, especially after what we've seen with respect to China and what's going on. We want security. So I'll let you know. They're going to be reporting to me tomorrow morning, and I will let you know. Uh, shares in cloud company Snowflake more than doubled on the market debut in what was the largest IPO for a software company ever. Software shares closed this session at $245, valuing the company at just over $70 billion. I saw a bigger valuation at one point. Didn't I see $90 billion somewhere? Pretty sure, yeah. Okay. FT says almost $90 billion. Uh, that's more than five times its $12 billion valuation earlier this year. Just, just uh, before we get to this. It was valued in February. Mm. At $12.4 billion. <clears throat> the market yesterday had it valued at between $70 and $90 billion. <clears throat> so COVID, because that's the only thing that's changed, yeah. has basically meant this company has gone up by, what, seven times, six times valuation during the last six months. So it's, it's now more valuable than Goldman Sachs, effectively. Well, we'll carry on with this. These are just these are facts, by the way. We're not going to tell you to buy or sell the stock. You'll never get that from Jeff and I. Speaking on CNBC's halftime report, Snowflake CEO Frank Slootman played down the bumper market debut, saying his focus remains on building up the company. The IPO is, is really not the highlight of my life. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a milestone. Uh, we're here to build our, our business, to build our product. Uh, that's, that's what we're excited about. That's what we do. We are primarily focused on growth, but what we're not focused on is, is what people refer to as growth uh, at all costs. So, again, the business model may be fantastic. I mean, it must be because you saw the flow of paper into it. Warren Buffett, by the way, his Berkshire Hathaway netted some $800 million on the back of Snowflake's IPO. They'd agreed to buy $250 million of stock at the IPO price and went on to buy another 4 million shares at the debut price. The move is a departure from Buffett's usual aversion to IPOs. The last time he invested in a newly listed company was when Ford went public in 1956. Look, we've both read um, Warren Buffett's literature, mm. and it does seem a departure from the kind of valuations he would normally want to pay, if I can put that that way subtly. Yeah. Look, I don't think a lot of the people who were buying into the IPO necessarily thought the valuation was correct yesterday. I think they're buying it because they are good old-fashioned stags. Now, if you don't know what a stag is, go and look it up. But a stag is basically someone who goes in to play an issue going onto the market. They typically stay in the stock a very short period of time. They're not to be classified as investors, perhaps a slightly longer time frame than day traders maybe, but a stag will, will play an IPO and then get out again very quickly. I'm just going to give you one more statistic. And again, I'm not making any comment about how good a company this is. Cloud seems to be the way forward, but I would say it's a very competitive space. But clearly, Snowflake has got some form of advantage that makes you think it's worth that kind of valuation on the screen. So I'm not even going to go to the price earnings. I'm not even going to look at the losses. I'll mention the losses. They were $348.5 million okay, in the last fiscal year, $348.5 million. But the revenues, and this is where I want to go because it's sales multiples that I'm interested in. Mm. I know it's a growth stock. It is, ha, has a sales multiple of 264.7, but uh, big button, sales last year, 264.7 million dollars, okay? Yeah. Now, what did we just say? 90 million, so 90 billion valuation at its peaks. So 90 divided by 0.2647, yeah? So that says to me, a, a sales multiple of somewhere in the region of 340 times. 
sales multiple of some in the region of 340 times. Even if we halve it, let's, let's double the rate of growth. You're talking crazy numbers. That's all I've got to say. Uh, I'll just throw in a couple of points. I mean, fascinating the, uh, the fact that um, there you heard uh, the company talking about um, we're in this for the long term, we're going to grow the business and so on and so forth. Obviously, there's been lots of speculation around the business being taken over or bought out. Uh, because it represents one of the few plays outside of, of the major technology companies that are already providing cloud services. So you've got Microsoft in there, you've got Amazon in there, you've got Google, all of them major providers of cloud. The argument being that maybe Snowflake would represent a useful addition to one of those businesses, but at okay. these valuations, very, very heady. Just to make some other points, Warren Buffett, I think Warren Buffett is 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 now in the Watergate business. He's basically following Deep Throat. It's follow the money. What's Warren Buffett buying? Warren Buffett is buying gold miners. Warren Buffett is finally using some of his money to buy businesses that maybe everybody else thinks should be going up at this point. And just the final point, I mean, just the overall story on the IPO market this year, just Looking very quickly at some of the recent numbers, um, 156 companies have filed for IPOs this year and still not gone to market yet. Uh, 66 companies filed IPO plans in August. 72 did so in July. There is a frenzy to go to market at the moment as liquidity okay. is available. We saw this kind of frenzy back in was it 98, 99, 2000? It's not to say <laughs> yeah. that the same outcome will happen, but obviously don't be distracted by the underlying. Can I ask one more question? Just to you out there. Is the VC sector short of cash? Is the private equity sector short of cash? It's not, is it? Is the bond market closed for a high growth, profitable company? It's not, is it? You can raise money at probably the cheapest levels ever. Hmm. So why the equity market? Why are they coming to IPO when every other avenue of finance is there in masses? Masses. And it says to me, it's where they can probably get the most bang for their buck, not where they can find the money. They can find the money anywhere they want. But if they want the crazy multiples on the valuation, and obviously to hopefully, if they have further fundraising, to actually go back to the market at crazy multiples, yeah. that's where it's at, isn't it? Because the VC, the PE and indeed the bankers backing those loans, they're not going to give you the money at crazy levels over a longer term period, time and time again, unless your business model improves. And the performance of these IPOs has been good. I mean, uh, it's been good. friends over yeah, at Yeah, we must make that point. It's Quan. been very good. New US listings have jumped by an average of 45% from their IPO prices. Which is fantastic. Outperforming the NASDAQ. Which is why naysayers like you and I might as well just go home. But, but we're not naysayers. We're just pointing out the absolute stuff. And I hope, I hope that's what we've done. I don't want you to say we think the business model is not great. We just basically pointed out this is what you're buying. You need to know this just so you know both sides of the trade. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.